Wonderful. Well, I see a few smiling people around, so there must have been some funny things. I heard a few laughs as well, so there must have been a few funny things that happened to people this week. Um, I don't know about you, but I, um, I enjoyed the series of Michael McIntyre. I don't know if you ever you watched that. But I certainly laugh and smile when the very beginning section, when he tells his stories, and he tells some very, very funny stories about um, his interactions with his children. And... Um, and that is a very joyful moment for me when I laugh at him and enjoy uh, that. But I'm just going to come back to um, things that make us joyful a bit later on. But it gives me, as Michaela alluded to, we're starting a new series on joy, finding joy. And we're going to do that looking through the book of Philippians. And I don't know about you, but, you know, when I came to prepare this, actually, I found it quite a challenge. Because for me, to put joy and the Christian life in the same sentence is really difficult. To get the concept of to be joyful, to be a a man of joy, and to live out the Christian life, the two, joy and Christian life, they don't feel that synonymous. You know, we think of joy as being happy with life. And yet, in reality, our lives can be anything but. So I'm quite excited about this series for myself. As I come into God's Word, as we come into it together, we come into this letter and expound it and understand greater of what it means to know joy, God's joy that he has for each one of us. Because... I don't know about you, I want to know more joy in my life. I do. I want to know more joy. I want to grasp it, to know it, to live in it, to be a man of joy. I'd love people to think, Rob Carter, you know, what a, what a wonderful man of, man of joy. To be someone like Paul. I wonder if when people bumped into the Apostle Paul, whether they thought, wow, this man is a man of joy. You know, and when Paul wrote this letter, the letter to the Philippians that we're going to be looking at through this series, you know, it's known as the epistle of joy, the letter of joy. He talks about joy many, many times. Rejoice, he says in it, many times in this letter. And I'd love to be someone like Paul who can say, I always pray with joy when he thinks of this particular church. Wouldn't that be great if that's us, River Church? And you know, the great thing is it is possible for each one of us to know joy. To know joy every day in our lives. Now, as I was preparing for this, I I did a little bit of research and I discovered that there are these surveys that uh, you can uh, look at and... um, a number of different kinds of surveys um, that say, you know, what makes people happy? You know, what makes people uh, full of joy? And, you know, most of these surveys I found were from the Daily Mirror. I don't know if that says anything about the Daily Mirror. But, um, you know, what are sort of things that make people happy? That make people, people kind of go, oh, you know, that was, that was good. You know, where you sort of have that moment where you feel, you know, that was actually, I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, things like having a good bottle of wine. Don't know why I'm looking at you, Jonathan. <laughs> it's genuine. 
Yes, it's dry January. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, you know, like for me, 20 minutes of Michael McIntyre. You know, Abby and I sometimes, at the end of a day, stressful day, we'd go to bed, and we'd lie in bed, and we'll look at a four-minute video of Michael McIntyre telling one of his stories. And even this week, we watched one, and we were both belly laughing because he was so funny. Do you have moments like that where you feel joy, you feel happy? I find laughing makes me feel very joyful. You know, so there are lots of things in these surveys. I think we've even shared on a Sunday morning a survey before, but there was another one that really stood out for me, and it's watching a video or even hearing a baby laughing brings joy. I don't know what it is about a baby laughing. Whether it's that high-pitched laughing, I don't know what it is, but, you know, it's adorable. You know, if you Google it on, uh, on the internet, you'll see lots of videos of that sort of thing. It just makes you want to laugh and smile, and I'm sure each of you have certain things that really bring joy to your heart, to your life, your happy places. But the joy that we're looking at in this series is a joy that we can know in God, a joy that we can know whether we are watching clips from YouTube or joy dancing to our favorite songs, or whether it's like Paul as he writes this letter, imprisoned, a joy that we can know when circumstances and situations aren't always going that great. So Paul, though imprisoned while writing this letter, was full of triumphant joy. Joy in knowing Christ. And my prayer for each one of us is that throughout this series, God will really shine his truth into our hearts of what actually this joy looks like for each one of us. You know, that it would deeply impact us, that it will have an effect, not just for these next eight, 12 weeks, but it will have an effect and an impact on us for the rest of our lives. Joy is something that's available, that's attainable for every believer in Christ. And you know, joy is a theme that runs right through the Bible. And it's a word that is used 218 times in the New International Version. Now, I've brought my fancy pen with me, so I really want to... I've done this before and I forgot to use it. So I'm, I'm determined to use it today. So here we have... Aha! The word, oh, I know, it's impressive, isn't it? <laughs> Don't worry, I won't shine it in this direction. The word joy. There we are. And here we have the different translations of the Bible. And the one that we use quite often now is the New International Version. And the New International Version here, did I say 100 and 218? Oh, I added the two together, that's what I did. Right, so. See, my maths is pretty good too. 155 in the Old Testament and 63 in the New Testament. So a quarter of the New Testament, a quarter of the word, sorry, the word joy is found in the New Testament. And actually, that's quite 
makes sense because the New Testament is the new covenant. It's about the, the wonderful newness we have in Christ that we should be filled with the joy of knowing Jesus. Now, the interesting thing, and, and liking numbers a little bit, is the King James Version only has 102, and 63 has the same as the NIV. So I don't know whether, when it was written in the 17th century, whether there wasn't so much joy around, but it certainly is good to know that joy appears so many times in the Bible. So let's have a look at a few of them. Proverbs 10, verse 28, says, The prospect of the righteous is joy. The prospect of the righteous. Those who are righteous, we are righteous in Christ. And the prospect for us is joy. Isaiah 12, verse 6 says, Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Shout aloud and sing for joy. Wonderful. You know, God gives us joy because he is a joy-filled God. It's like there's joy. If, if you could cut him in half, you'd find joy. If you cut him anywhere, you'd find joy. Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you want a memory verse for this week, Nehemiah 8, for this series, Nehemiah 8 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now one, com- com- one commentator on this verse says this, I always thought of the joy referred to in this verse as the joy which God gives. God gives joy. And so it is. But I now realize that this does not say quite enough. It is also the joy which God possesses and experiences. God gives us joy because he, in essence, is joyful. He is the source of joy, just as he is the source of love, of truth, of mercy, and so on. Joy is both a description of God and a description of what he gives. That's the truth of God, that he is joy as much as he is love. Jesus also speaks of joy when speaking to the disciples, and he promises the disciples that no one can take it away. In John 16, verse 22, it says, I will see you again, and you will, what? Rejoice. Rejoice. We rejoice as believers in Christ. And he says, at the end of that verse, no one will take away your joy. These are words of Jesus himself. No one will take away your joy. Believers in Christ, know it today that no one will take away your joy. Believers in Jesus. And then the New Testament is littered with reference about joy. 1 Peter 1, 8-9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with what? An inexpressible and glorious joy. Not just joy, a joy which is inexpressible. What a wonderful truth that Peter was wanting the church to understand. Now, quite literally, you could open your New Testament at any page and find a reference about joy. Actually, if you do the maths, it's probably about every eighth page of the New Testament. But it's there. I mean, I opened my Bible just to give it a go, 
And I opened at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Now, you all know what that says. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll tell you what it says. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, if you do memory verses, this is a great memory verse. Now, do you know why it's a great memory verse? Because it's very short. <laughs> I like these ones. Okay, it's a simple command, and it must be one of the shortest Bible verses in the Bible. I can see you all rushing to look it up because you're all dying to know what this Bible verse is. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. No, I'm surprised no one shouted it out at me yet. It's the best memory verse because it's so short. In fact, it is the shortest, but in fact, there's only one shorter, and that's, anyone know what that is? Jesus wept. Wonder the pastor in front of us knows the short, that's good to know, isn't it? Jesus wept. It's the shortest Bible verse. And the reason it's the shortest is because it's got nine letters. And the one, Thessalonians 5.16, has got 13 lessons. But, 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 in the original Greek, one Thessalonians 5.16 wins because it has less Greek characters than Jesus wept. So, the shortest Bible verse, according to the original Greek, is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And that is... Hooray! You've got it. Rejoice always. That's the command for all of us, believers in Jesus. It says, the word of God says, rejoice always. We're commanded, we're called to rejoice in Jesus, to rejoice in the fact that we have been chosen, that we are children of God. Rejoice always. Let that verse really sit with you, really live with that over the coming weeks. My encouragement to us all is over the next few months, as we get into this whole concept of joy, is to rejoice, rejoice always. As we delve into Philippians, delve into it like you're diving into a deep pool of God's truth. A wonderful pool of God's truth. And take time to uncover the mysteries of the truth that lies beneath the surface of this wonderful letter. You know, there's great treasures to be found as we go through Philippians in the weeks to come. Philippians is a short letter. It's easy to read. It's easy to listen to. If you find listening to Scripture easier than reading it, you can listen to it or read it in under 30 minutes. It's four condensed chapters of God's truth. It's four chapters of Paul pouring out his affection to a church that he'd established 10 years earlier. AD 61 is thought when he wrote this letter. A letter he wrote in prison. And in fact, it's been said that this that Philippians, this letter, is the most beautiful of Paul's letters. It's full of tenderness, it's full of warmth, it's full of affection. You know, his writing is quite personal, it's informal, and it's considered as almost an intimate diary of Paul's own spiritual experiences and his relationship with the church. You know, he perhaps enjoyed friendship with the Philippian church more than any other. You know, throughout the letter, Paul oozes with this confident conviction of the lordship of Christ, that Jesus is Lord, Lord of all things, Lord of all creation. He's our Lord. 
the centrality of Jesus to becoming a people of joy. That's what this letter is all about. You know, and this series, we're looking at how we find joy for ourselves, how we find joy in God in whatever situation we're in. But today, I'm going to be looking at joy in partnership. In 1 Philippians, in Philippians 1, there's no two Philippians. In Philippians 1, verse 3, Paul says this, and let me read it to you. I thank my God every time I remember you. And here he's referring to the Philippian church. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul prayed with joy. I always pray with joy, he says. Now, why did he pray with joy? Well, it's because of his partnership with the Philippians. He prayed with joy because he was partnered with this church. And what were they partnering in? They were partnering in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Paul's joy was in the gospel. The joy that Paul had experienced and was keen for the Philippian church to grow in was the joy that comes from knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. An eternal joy, a deep joy, Joy, a joy that cannot be taken away, it cannot be used up, a joy that penetrates our very being, a joy that's not just an idea, it's not just a persuasion, it's not just a thought, it's not just a concept, it's a joy that's a deep conviction that Jesus reigns, that Jesus is victorious, that Jesus is on the throne and that we follow him and that Jesus is a Lord and Saviour. And it's a joy that's so deep that Paul mentions it many times in this letter. He mentions it at the beginning that he prays with joy because he knows he's partnered with this church that also knew it for themselves. That Jesus reigns, that Jesus is for you, that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for every single one of us. Now, John Piper, who I think is an expert on this subject of joy, he describes joy, or this kind of joy, like this. He says, a good feeling in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit, as he causes us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ in the Word and in the world. So joy that we're looking at, that we're exploring over these coming weeks, John Piper describes as this, a good feeling in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit, as he causes us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ in the Word and in the world. So this true joy, a joy that comes from God, It's not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on situations. It's not definitely not dependent on me. It's a joy that comes from God. 
It's a supernatural contentment in knowing Christ. It's a good feeling in your soul. It's a good feeling in your soul. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. So how do we grow in this joy? How do we grow in in the joy that the book of James, the writer of James, puts it in his letter? Consider it pure joy when you face trials and persecutions. Or as Peter writes in his first letter, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In many ways, the the answer is is simple. The answer is knowing Jesus more. Knowing Jesus. But there is something about knowing Jesus with others who know Jesus that, that I want to unpack today. This partnership that we have with each other. This partnership that Paul had with the Philippian church that brought him joy. Now, there's something very uh, real and powerful when you really connect with someone else, when you feel like you're on the same level. Um, You know, whether it be a sport, you know, a football team. I see people connecting about football teams a lot. Unfortunately, that's not my sport, so I, I sort of look in a distance when I see people talking about players and managers and But, you know, there's something really fun about connecting with somebody about a sport. It might be you connect on a family gathering. That can be one way that that you connect. A celebration. Um, I was thinking the other day of something that um, I took Tom and Noah last summer to the Oval, which for me was quite a fun thing to do. And um, we went to see Surrey play a 2020 match. And... um, and the atmosphere was awesome. Just the, the crowd, the, you know, when a wicket was taken, they play all this music now, it's all very exciting. There's something very powerful about when people connect together. You know, it gives you a sense of identity, a sense of specialness, a sense of belonging and attachment, a sense of joy. But there is something even more incredible with the partnership we have, firstly, in Christ, our partnership we have with him, which brings a supernatural joy and assurance that we have an eternal salvation with him. But there's something supernatural about the joy and the connectedness that we have with each other, that Paul had with him and the church, that was genuine, that was real, that was special and deep. A connectedness that he had of shared vision, of shared values, and most importantly, of a shared gospel. A shared gospel, a shared understanding of who Christ was, what he'd done. So I want to look at, for the last 10 minutes, I know it's gone quick, hasn't it? And I haven't even got to use my pen again. So look. This is what John Piper says. Very important. So how do we as a church grow in this partnership with each other? In a way that brings joy to us as a community, that brings joy in us 
as we follow Christ. And I would say there's only five things there, there's more. But I've picked out five things that I think God wants to speak to us today. Firstly, is this, to remind each other of the complete work of Jesus on the cross. The utter completeness of Jesus' sacrifice. You know, this, sometimes I don't think we think about much, what, as much as we should, of what Jesus has done for us, because it's the most significant, most powerful, most important reason we're here in this building today. Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross, breaking the power of sin once and for all. You know, sin, again, we don't talk about this very much, but sin no longer has any hold over us. Those of us in Christ Jesus, sin's power has been broken. You know, we are free not to sin. We are free not to sin. We make a choice. And we're free now, because of Christ, to say no. We're no longer slaves to sin. Sin's curse, its wretched, awful, destructive curse, has been broken in Christ. You know, and we get to enjoy all the benefits of that. You know, it's the, the, what Jesus had to go through in order for this to happen... You know, he suffered greatly in order for this to happen, but it's finished. That suffering is no more. We can know joy because of that suffering. The curse is broken. One of the things I really felt that God wanted to speak to us is about the shame of sin. You know, the shame of sin can still entangle a mature Christian. You could be walking with God for years and years and years, but the shame of sin can still entangle you. It might be something that happened, you know, even last week, and you just, the shame of it can rob you of the things that God has for you, the great many things that God has for you. You know, God has a great purpose for every single one of you in this room. Awesome purpose. But shame can rob the most mature Christian. And James 5 verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, there is no shame in Christ. There is no shame. You know, one of the biggest lies of Satan one of his biggest lies is that we have to hide away the things that make us feel bad. We have to hide them away. But shame has been defeated on the cross. We read in Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, we are encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, who is the perfecter of our faith. And as we fix our eyes on him... It says this, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, despising its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set 
before him. It's why he did it. The suffering had to happen in order for the power of sin to be broken. And as that's broken on the cross, we can know the joy that Jesus knew. That he knew for the joy set before him. He knew the power of the cross would break sin for all time. And the shame of it would be scorned on the cross. Now John Piper, come back to John Piper again. But his comment, he commented on this verse and he very, very eloquently describes Jesus' view of shame and he describes in a wonderful way how shame is utterly scorned. And let me just read this to you. Listen to me, shame. Do you see that joy in front of me? Compared to that, You are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have power. Compared to the joy before me, you have none. Joy, joy, joy. That is my power. Not you, shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. You think you can distract me. I won't even look at you. I have a joy set before me. Why would I look at you? You are ugly and despicable. And you are almost finished. You cover me now as with a shroud. Before you can say so there, I will throw you off like a filthy rag and I will put on my royal robe. You think you're great. Because even last night you made my disciples run away. But you are a fool, shame. You are a despicable fool. That abandonment, that loneliness, this cross, these tools of yours, they are all my sacred suffering and they will save my disciples, not destroy them. You are a fool. Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. Farewell, shame, it is finished. That wonderful, descriptive way of just that idea that shame is finished with. As we bring the things we're most shamed about to Jesus Christ, he brings healing, he brings freedom, and he brings life. You know, the truth of the gospel Jesus died that we might have life. You know, there's such joy to be found as we remind each other of this truth of the gospel, this gospel at work in all of us. It's a wonderful truth that that no longer is our story, but one of joy to know our Savior. Number two, admit that we need Jesus to each other. This is how we partner with the gospel. There's an openness in God's, in the Philippian church, and I believe that God wants that for his church. Openness, transparency, taking time to talk about the broken areas of our hearts with each other is a major key to knowing God's joy. You know, we all have broken areas of our hearts, including me, including Steve. We all have broken areas of our hearts, that God wants us to own, that we might be a light for him in the world in which we live. It takes courage, 
takes trust, takes perseverance, and it takes Holy Spirit leading. That as we're honest with ourselves and others of how much we need Jesus. You know, it's, this is all in Jesus. It's Jesus that helps us change and become partners together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think Paul had seen something in the Philippian church where they had surrendered all to Jesus. You know, and that gave him great joy. You know, they'd surrendered all to Jesus. He rejoiced at seeing the Philippians' church's Christ-like actions and as he partnered with them. Some say that the letter is a response to the Philippians' gift that they sent Paul in prison. The Philippian church were a generous church. And I think Paul saw the Christ-like character that this church displayed. Number three, how we partner together is to stand with each other in being obedient to God's word and his call, God's call on our lives. In John 15, Jesus talked about abiding in him and obeying him. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. Why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So one of the keys to joy is living in obedience to God, in obedience to him and remaining in his love. That's how we remain in his love, as we're obedient and, uh, to his commands. You know, it's easy, it's, joy comes when you're more obedient to God. It, I've learned, I've learned the hard way. Many times, you know, I've tried to do my own thing, and then he, God sort of brings me back. It's really humbling. You know, in Philippians, those of you that know the book, the letter, you know, chapter 2 talks about being, having the humility of Christ. Um, chapter 2, verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. And it talks about Jesus was obedient to his Father. And he calls us to do the same. So let's stand with each other and help us to be obedient to God's word and his call for our lives. And number four, now I'm, I'm slightly over, so I'm going to do the last two relatively quickly. We urge each other to be different and to stand out in the world, to show love, grace, and mercy, to extend a loving hand or be an open heart. Now, the culture we live in, I don't need to tell you, but the culture we're in urges us to live for ourselves, to seek the best for me. Paul, in this letter, says, and again, hopefully we'll hear some of this later, but he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. A very challenging verse to consider the implications of that. He's certainly not thinking about how can I get out of prison or how can I ensure that I'm not going to get shipwrecked on my way to 
Rome. He, he was living for Christ. That was everything he was about. And I think God encourages us to help each other to be different, to stand out, and how to be Christ in the world, which isn't easy in the present culture we're in. You know, many people are becoming more and more isolated in the society we're in. They are. It's the truth. But what can we do as a church about that? How can we make a difference for Christ? You know, there is much joy when we can lift our eyes and bring hope to and love to the world around us, to the hurt, to the broken, and to the lost. You know, um, I was watching um, Blue Peter just the other day and, uh, with my, my children, and um, it was wonderful. It's an episode where Kate and William, don't anyone watch this? No, of course you wouldn't watch Blue Peter, what am I talking about? Um, but there was an episode where um, Kate and William went uh, to the Blue Peter studio and they met the presenters, and you could see the presenters were like in awe that uh, such royalty were there in the studio. But you know, it, um, yeah, I know, I won't go down that line. But it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that um, they sat down on the couch and they were presented these gold Blue Peter badges, which is like the total best thing ever in the whole world. And to see the look on their faces, and they were so overwhelmed and so thankful for, um, for getting these, these badges. But the, the reason they got these badges, and this is the thing that, uh, that impressed me in terms of um, you know, the context of today, is the presenter says, the reason you've got these is for the work that you do to, um, to, uh, to work with those with mental health problems, uh, issues. And, and, and as they said that, um, Will, Will, William, I can't call him Will, can I? Um, yes, his royal, no, was he Prince of, Prince of Wales? Um, but William, anyway, um, he turned around and he said, well, he said, um, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is to get rid of the stigma attached to mental health. And, you know, something in my heart just went... Wow, that's awesome. And, and he just, there, was, there felt like such humility in the way that he said it. And I just, I think, as Christians, things need to grip our hearts where we begin to make a difference in the world, where we stand out, where we stand up and we're counted for the gospel. Now, I obviously don't know if he's a Christian or not, but... He has that compassion for these people in these various situations. And I think that that's what Jesus is calling us to as well, to have compassion, to think about how we can make a difference in the world. And finally, how we partner together, how joy, as Paul experiences joy, how we can know the joy is to seek God's presence together. You know, there's such joy where the Holy Spirit dwells, where God's presence is. You know, we're living in the new covenant. A period of church history 
where God has poured out his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is here with us. You know, it started on the day of Pentecost and it continues today all over the world. The Holy Spirit is active and alive in every single believer who has been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the means by which we know the joy of God. There is much joy in heaven and there's much joy in us as we seek and thirst for more of the Holy Spirit. And we partner in that together. How thirsty are you? How, how many times do you pray for God to fill you to overflowing with his Holy Spirit? How much do we encourage each other and pray for each other to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? You know, we need to do that regularly as his church, as his people. The Holy Spirit is the means by which the joy of the Lord, the joy of Jesus, fills us. You know, the early church discovered this truth. You know, we read it in Acts and Romans, and uh, they should come up on the screen. And uh, I'm going to use this again just because I can. Right, so the first one. Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It's almost like joy and the Holy Spirit are synonymous with each other. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we know the joy of the Lord and that is our strength. Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not just eating and drinking, as lovely as that is, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy and Holy Spirit, again, synonymous together. And finally, Romans 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So to finish, the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit produces joy in the life of the Christian. And my encouragement to us all is to drink from him, the source of our joy in our daily lives. And just at the outset of this series on joy, can I encourage you to spend time reading this small letter? It won't take long. Read it through. Absorb it. Find some of the treasures under the surface of this wonderful letter. Four chapters. Reread it. Read it again. And look at it through this lens of joy. Lens of joy. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. So this week, see opportunities where you can rejoice in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray for us and then hand over to Claire. Jesus, we thank you for the joy that we find in you. Jesus, we love you. We love all the wonderful fruits of the Spirit. But Lord, as we look at joy, I pray, impart joy to each of our hearts now, Lord. Impart joy. Impart joy this week. I pray each of us will have moments of joy 
this week. Jesus, as we seek you, as we seek your face. Jesus, come, Holy Spirit.